Good morning, everyone. We return to our study of the Gospel of John. We're in the fifth chapter. If you remember previously, we, we began in the healing of the, uh, at the pool on the Sabbath, and really the healing was to set up the, the issue relative to the uh, Jewish leaders. Um, they were more upset with the healing took place on the Sabbath than they were excited about the fact that the healing took place. And then we have this section uh, following that, which really lays out for us who Jesus is, uh, his authority, and he gives us different proofs of who he is, things that testify to uh, his deity, to the fact that he is the Son of God, he is the Messiah, and he'll give us three proofs, and, and lay some of those, I'll lay some of those things out for us today. Uh, so let's pray before we get going. Our Heavenly Father, bring your Holy Spirit, we pray. Uh, come upon us, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, uh, that we might understand your word and live in accordance with it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So from verse 17 or so on to about 30, we have the personal testimony of Jesus about his deity. He's equal with God in nature, equal with God in his abilities and work, in, in, in the power, in truth, and, and of course, uh, he should be honored and worshipped in the same fashion as God the Father. And then we come to verse 31. Uh, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Um, now, we've seen, we'll see in a, a couple chapters, in chapter 8, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and the Pharisees, uh, uh, the Jewish leaders, they say, well, you're testifying about yourself, and your testimony can't be true. This takes us back to the Old Testament, where uh, to prove something, you needed the testimony of at least two individuals, and several people could not be trusted to give testimony as an example uh, one of the reasons why it is so, so shocking that the angels come to the shepherds, shepherds could not be trusted. Their testimony um, was not counted as valid in court. And the testimony of a woman at, in the first century, I believe, was only counted as one-third of a man. Uh, so you really needed all these valid testimonies. And so they're getting on Jesus there in chapter 8. Well, your testimony is not true because you testimony testify only about yourself. Um, and he, as, as we'll see when we get to chapter 8, he counters that. Uh, but here in 31, uh, he's saying, in my eyes, in your eyes, my testimony is not true. Now, of course, we have to understand that only crazy people said that they were God in the first century. We have lots of false messiahs, as we'll look at. Um, but in fact, the Jews didn't just say he was a criminal. They said he was crazy uh, for saying these things. But Jesus goes on in verse 32, well, there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. So the first testimony we have seen about whom Jesus is, is of course John the Baptist. He's a voice crying in the wilderness, and we've, we've seen that previously. And now we're going to see the second testimony about who Jesus is. Uh, I'm going to continue to read in, in, through verse 36, and that's where we'll pick up the testimony. Uh, verse uh, 33, this is about John. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. 
He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. And now verse, that's John the Baptist, now verse 36, the second testimony. But the testimony that I have is far greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So he is saying the Father has sent me, and as evidence that the Father has sent me, are the works that I do. And he's speaking specifically about the miraculous works that he has done. Those works testify that I come from the, God, from the Father. They are God's testimony, Jesus is saying, through me that I've come from him. And, in, uh, and the greatest way that he will speak is yet to come in, in verse 37. But the second way in verse 36 is greater than the first way. John testifies he is coming. Um, he says, I'm not willing to, I'm not, shouldn't be taking his shoes off his feet and doing the sandals. I'm not worthy to do that. Uh, one comes who is greater than me. So he's pointing to Christ testifying about him and now the greater testimony than John the Baptist is the miracles that Jesus does. John chapter 3 Nicodemus comes to him in the middle of the night uh, and says well we know you are from God because nobody can do the things that you're doing unless they are from God. So they have a pretty good understanding of the miracles that Jesus has done and a realization that well only God can do those types of things, but they aren't willing to give Jesus that authority as of yet. And then, of course, if you go to the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 21, um, John writes, there's so many other things that Jesus has done that, that I haven't written down here. They would fill many books, but I've written these things so that you might believe that he is the Savior. So, he is saying the second testimony about who I am are the works that I do. Um, uh, you know, even though he does these works, John chapter 12 says, but they didn't believe. Uh, they saw the works, but he wasn't willing, they weren't willing to believe that he was actually the son of God, one who could come with that power. Um, and uh, Jesus uh, uh, gets on certain towns in the north that if, I, if uh, the miracles that I did in your presence had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have believed. So the sight of a miracle and sometimes even the reception of a miracle in the first century was not enough for everyone to be convinced that Jesus was the Son of God. And he says, if you reject me, you have rejected the Father, for I have the same authority, the same substance as the Father. Um, so the charge really is not that you're rejecting the Savior. The charge is really you're rejecting the Father because you have rejected the Son. So the testimony of the miracles uh, was from the Father. It's greater than the testimony of John the Baptist. And now we have the greatest testimony, uh, as we will continue to read in verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself born witness about me his voice you have never heard his form you have never seen and you do not have his word abiding in you for you do not believe the one whom he has sent this is a terrible accusation against the Jewish leaders Jesus says the greatest proof is that the father himself testifies to me and you don't know the father 
You don't know me, therefore you do not know the Father. Um, the Father in the Old Testament gives testimony to the Son, to the Messiah, to Jesus. Now, these Jewish leaders had the Old Testament, and they're going to affirm it as the word of God. And, but even though they possess it, Jesus is saying, you've not heard the voice of the Lord or seen him. Now, hearing and seeing, those are really the two senses that perceive in which we perceive, and he's used here in a broad way to say, you neither hear nor do you see God because I am his representation right here in front of me. You don't have the knowledge of God. Clearly, they didn't have the zeal for God. They had the zeal for good works, legalistically speaking, but they did not have that zeal for God in their hearts. Um, So this is devastating in a condemnation of the Jewish leaders. Uh, You don't have any connection with God. That's what he's saying. God's testified about me, but obviously you don't know him because you don't believe this. Uh, And then, of course, uh, verse 38, you do not have his word abiding in you. And in our previous studies of 1 John on Sunday mornings, uh, that abiding in Christ, having the word of God abide in you. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. They did not have that at all. Let's continue a little bit. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So the Old Testament is preparing the way for Christ. It is talking about the coming of Christ, Uh, but they didn't see it. They had it right there in front of them, and that they didn't see it. Uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about the Old Testament in, in a way of um, like a man trying to see over a wall. And he jumps up and he can see over the wall for an instant. And he gets these glimpses of, what's on the, glimpses of what is on the other side. And he equates that with the Old Testament. We're getting glimpses of Jesus in the Old Testament. And all you have to do is connect the dots and see him there in the New Testament in his glory, plain and simple. Verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They search the Old Testament in search of eternal life, and eternal life stands right there in front of them in the form of Jesus the Christ, and they refuse. Terrible, terrible accusations against the Jewish leaders. So let's finish out this chapter here, 41 and following. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is no one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. There is one who accuses you, and that is Moses. For if you believed Moses... You would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? It comes down to the fact that they were simply unwilling to believe in Jesus. Now, we have to understand that each sinner is held responsible for their own belief, their own unbelief. In John 3, we hear about the judgment, and this judgment 
means that the light has come into the world, but men love the darkness. They refuse to believe. They like their unbelief. Men love sin, and we hate righteousness in our natural state. Therefore, there is judgment. And the judgment falls upon sinful men and women because we are unwilling to believe. Now, we have to understand that that is not contrary to the fact that God elects and chooses and saves. We are responsible for our unbelief. We are responsible for our sin. God is responsible for salvation. Um, So we see this in, in, in two ways. If I don't believe, it's my fault. God saves me. It is his work. So the Bible teaches that if you're saved, it is the will of God. You must be born again. But the sinner takes all the responsibility for his unwillingness to believe. So the Lord assesses three elements here in their unwillingness to believe. They don't glorify Christ. They don't love God. And they don't believe God's word. So they don't give any glory to Christ. 41. I do not receive glory from people. I do not receive glory from you. That's the basic point. They're unwilling to believe, and evidence of that is you don't give any glory to Christ. See, it's really all about Christ. Um, And we have to remember that, especially in the church today. Uh, The church is made up of a lot of things, and a lot of people want to do a lot of things and say that the church is about this or this, or come to church and you can find this, uh, come to church and you can receive this. The church is about Christ. Uh, coming to church is about glorifying Christ. We grow in our knowledge, and in our knowledge we apply it, and Christ is glorified. Drop down to verse 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes only from God? The issue is they're seeking glory from others, but they're not willing to give glory to Christ. It's all about them. See, the church is all about Christ. But for those who are not believers, for those who are um, impostors, it's about them. So you seek honor from one another, but not honor to Christ. Secondly, they're not only unwilling to give glory to Christ, they don't love God. And this is a real blow. Now, they think that they really do, and they think that they do because of their outward demonstration of Uh, their willingness to be apart from society and to do things that keep them apart. In particular, as we see in the uh, starts in the Old Testament, the Jewish leaders were often uh, found wearing what we call phylacteries. These would be things on their head or on their wrist, and they would contain the word of God in specifically, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Those words which I command you today shall be on your heart. Bind them as a sign on your hand and on your forehead. So they had them in these little boxes on their foreheads and on their hearts, but on their, on their hands, but they didn't have them on their hearts. And that was the real issue. They were whitewashed tombs, looking good on the outside, dead on the inside. They had a sign on the outside, but it wasn't a sign of the heart that was true to the Lord from the inside. If you reject Christ, you reject the Father uh, because Jesus comes in his Father's name. 
But I come in my Father's name and you don't receive me. So the basic commitment of every Jewish leader here to love the Lord God with all their heart, all their soul, and their mind, bind it on their hearts, put it on their heads, on their hands. They had it on their heads and hands, but they didn't have it here. So in a sense, all false religion is strapped on to the externals. False religion looks good on the outside. You might be a good moral person. You might be a decent person. You might go through all the motions. But if your heart has not been changed, all those things matter not. And 43. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Now, the first century, B.C., the first century A.D., uh, in, in Israel uh, are full of examples of false messiahs. In fact, there were over 70 documented uh, historically false messiahs that some portion of the Jewish population followed um, and claimed that they were the messiah. Now, the Romans often smashed them, uh, crushed them, because they would stir up more trouble um, in an effort to get rid of the Romans. Uh, Jesus comes and he preaches the true gospel, um, and it's the Jewish leaders that convinced the Roman authorities to put him to death. Um, so um, false messiahs came then, false messiahs come now, false teachers, uh, those who carry the spirit of Antichrist with them, again, as we saw in uh, the epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Um, so you have to be ready to see who is the true Christ as found in Scripture. So, the last, they're unwilling to believe the scriptures. Verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. The one that accuses them is the one in which they hope. But they don't see it, okay? If you believed in Moses, you would have believed in me. They prided themselves on their knowledge of Moses. Now, in Matthew 23, Jesus starts to talk to his disciples and describes them. He said, the Pharisees and the scribes sit in the seat of Moses. In other words, they rule from the Old Testament and the law that comes out of the Old Testament. So Moses, the seat of Moses is kind of a cryptic way of saying the, the Old Testament and the scripture. Um, but, you know, there's, they thought that they were adhering to Moses, in a sense, their hero, the law, but they were not. There's plenty about the Messiah in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, which Moses wrote. Um, and, of course, there's plenty in the rest of the Old Testament as well. And it says that they search the scriptures. Then they search the scriptures, but they don't. The scriptures they search are the Old Testament, but they're not seeing Christ in the Old Testament uh, for whatever reason. You say this is your, your life, your trade, where you spend all your time, but you don't really believe what you read. In John chapter 9, the leaders are questioning the man who was born blind and whom Jesus healed and he tells them he says I told you already aren't you listening to what I said do you want to hear it again do you want to hear this message again that that this man healed me I was born blind and then and then 
the, the man who was born, born blind looks to the Jewish leaders and say, do you want to become his disciple? Well, they said, no, we're disciples of Moses. Only in outward appearance, not in reality, were they disciples of Moses. So that's the accuser. You say you believe in Moses, but Moses is the actual, actually the one who is accusing you of not believing because you don't believe him. You don't believe the words of Moses, therefore Moses is accusing you of unbelief. Not willing to believe the scripture, not willing to believe God, not willing to believe the one that God has sent. If you believed me, if you believed me, you would believe Moses, you would understand. Now, we'll take one more uh, look at, at another spot here. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus was poor. This is not the Lazarus that Jesus called out of the grave. This is the poor man. And the poor man, Lazarus, spent time outside the man's gates, and the man wouldn't even give him scraps off the table. And the rich man dies, and he goes off, and he is in Hades, and Lazarus dies, and he is in heaven. And uh, it's this call out that, hey, send Lazarus down to dip his finger in cool water, and said, no, that's just not going to happen. Then he says, well, send someone to tell my family the truth. And the response is, if you didn't believe Moses and the prophets, you're not going to believe someone sent from God. Okay. Oh, this is a great and a terrible accusation against them. You won't believe the one raised from the dead. That's exactly what it says there. Uh, and Jesus was the one who was raised from the dead, but they didn't believe. They didn't believe. So Jesus is actually referred to, uh, Jesus refers to 20 Old Testament individuals. He quotes from 19 different Old Testament books in his teachings. Um, Stephen, in his sermon in Acts 7, makes more than 50 Old Testament references. When the apostles preach, they preach the Old Testament, Acts 2, 3, 4, 7, 8, on and on. Uh, every time they preached, they were quoting the Old Testament because those were the scriptures, and those scriptures were pointing to Jesus who fulfilled them perfectly. There are 312 Old Testament passages quoted specifically in the New Testament, and about 500 more that are referenced, not quoted directly, but are referenced there. You know, if you believe the Old Testament, you'd believe me. That's what Jesus is telling them here. That is the witness to me. So it is clear that even though you say you believe it, you do not, for it does not manifest itself in a changed heart. So that takes us through John chapter 5. And next week, Easter morning, uh, we'll be looking at this great illustration as Jesus feeds the 5,000. And they come looking for bread. They don't come looking for, and they follow him looking for bread. They don't follow him looking for the truth. They just want another meal. But we'll look at that next week. And I'll see you then.